The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, today I'd just like to offer a few reflections. Before I do, these reflections are kind of about trying on a different framework or different frameworks of experience. I want to start, as sometimes I do, these Tuesday sits, with a little experiential exercise, just the invitation to notice. So maybe start with your eyes closed for just a moment, since we just came out of meditation. You can keep them open if you prefer. But to turn the attention to breathing. Just a breath, two breaths, three breaths. And first noticing the sensation, the raw experience. And then attuning to any pleasantness or unpleasantness neitherness in what is being felt. And then noticing any concept or shaping of the experience. Perhaps the label breath, breathing, or some other simple conception. Noticing any thoughts or associations brought up by the act of breathing or by doing this little exercise. And then finally, turning the attention to the knowing the bare cognizing, knowing of the sensations of breathing and all of the other little moments I suggested. You can open your eyes when you're ready or not. Part two of the exercise is if you're willing to look around, you can either look around the screen or the room that you're sitting in. Notice the appearance of some object. It could be a little zoom tile, the computer screen itself, a face, a picture on the wall. Noticing the appearance, the form, of what you see. And then noticing any feeling tone. Pleasant, unpleasant, neither. That what is being seen evokes. And 
Is there any concept or label? Noticing any associations, thoughts, memories, judgments, seeing this object might bring. And finally, noticing the simple knowing of the seeing, aware of seeing. Thank you for that. Welcome to release yourself from that little thought experiment. So those are two examples of parsing experience, organizing experience through a particular Buddhist framework given as a list by the Buddha and his disciples. And that framework or list some of you are quite familiar with, I'm sure, is known as the five aggregates or the long form, the five aggregates subject to clinging, possibility of clinging. They are first rupa, which is the Pali word often translated as form or appearance, or I like to think of it as raw experience of seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, feeling. The second is Vedana, feeling tone, which is usually characterized as unpleasant, pleasant, or neither, sometimes called neutral. But it's the slight subjectivity that our minds our experience just automatically assigns to something before we even quite know what it is. The third step or third item on the list in the matrix is sanya, most often translated as perception. Conception or concept, conceiving also works very well. And that's that really simple label. You know, perhaps you've maybe seen something out of the corner of your eye. And, you know, our peripheral vision is really good at catching motion, but it's not great at assigning. Assigning um, assigning a sense of what things are because we can't see them clearly. So peripheral motion um, is the bare act of seeing. When that object comes into focus, we might go, oh, flower or dog or chair or whatever that thing is. That little label, that's sanya, that's perception, conception. The next step in the list is volitional formation, sankara. Sankara. And sankara is a tricky, tricky Pali word to try to translate because it means different things in different contexts. But volitional formation, sometimes people talk about it as thoughts. Sometimes it's any formation of experience of any kind. 
another translation that Bill Fronstel has been playing with recently is reactivity. Um, because it is, sankharas are the associations we make based on these other experiences of simply the raw experience itself, the feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neither, and the label that's attached to it. Sankara is the next step, the extra layer. And it's a natural process of mind. Please do not try to stop it. Um, however, it's worth noticing because so often Sankara is kind of the way our minds really weave reality together. And other things can get kind of snuck in there that aren't exactly helpful or even true. This this happens in this level. And it then recurses back onto all of these other things. So, for example, um, if I feel a hand on my shoulder, I don't see who's putting the hand on my shoulder. My perception, even my sanya, of pleasant or unpleasant might be to whom I'm attributing putting the hand. If it's a good friend, a family member, a partner, it might feel very pleasant. But if in my imagination, my volitional formations, my sankara, it is an obnoxious stranger, very different reaction, right? That's an unpleasant experience. So these things play together. The last one, the fifth one, is vinyana, which is often translated as um, consciousness or cognizance. Consciousness, sense consciousness. So here, I actually prefer cognizance or cognizing, because especially in the West, consciousness or in English, consciousness has so many meanings, right? And a lot of them are kind of mysterious and big and vague. Philosophers have argued about it for centuries. This is not the kind of process the Buddha is talking about. He is talking about the simple, bare knowing that the act of seeing, hearing, etc. is happening. It's the very simple knowing. It's almost, um, it's kind of dumb, right? It, it, it's just a part of the mind-body process. So these are the five, and the term aggregates, five aggregates subject to clinging. I just want to talk about aggregate for a moment. I did not have time this morning to look up the Pali, so I, Kanda is the Pali, but I didn't have time to look up all the different nuances of Kanda. But its original meaning, way back in ancient India, meant something like pile or heap. It was not a highfalutin word, you know, pile of corn shucking or a pile of hay or a pile of rock. It was sort of like that. And there's definitely that sense. So it's just like five categories, simple categories is probably the fundamental meaning. But in a way, I also like the English word aggregate for this because it points to the function of all five of these. And I believe this is a nuance, perhaps, of the Pali as well, that aggregates aggregate these five kinds of experience, aggregate themselves into, weave themselves into 
the kind of experience of reality. Right? So why does this matter? I think that's a fair question to ask. Why? Why do I care? The Buddha talks about the five aggregates being creating kind of a magic show. I'm going to read a translation here. This is by um, Bhikkhu Nyanananda. comes from the Samyutta Nikaya. Suppose, monks, a magician or a magician's apprentice should hold a magic show, and a keen-sighted person should see it, ponder over it, and reflect on it radically or with wisdom. Even as they see it, ponder over it, and reflect on it, they would find it void of essence. In other words, it's a play, it's a trick, it's it's being created as a kind of illusion. And that's not to say reality itself is an illusion. Of course it's not. But the way our mind-body process and the way our past experiences and our associations and our biases weave these five categories together, that often has significant illusion in it, right? So it's innocent enough when it's a magician doing entertainment, right? That's kind of fun. You know, that's part of the fun of it is we know it can't be happening, yet we're seeing it, right? But it's not so innocent what our minds are always doing, or maybe it's innocent, but not so helpful. Have you noticed These virtual reality engines we carry around with us everywhere, they're really good at weaving horror shows or shows in which we are the villain or in which we are perfect and everyone else is the villain or absolute fantasy that might provoke actions that are completely unhelpful in a given situation or just pure darn delusion and not responding to things in a way that is helpful to us or to others. That's why the Buddha made such, or I'm not going to attribute to the Buddha, but that's my sense of one reason this is such a powerful lens or way of categorizing experience is it begins to get at the fundamental aggregations, the weavings of how our minds are interacting with reality. And that helps undercut the not-so-helpful parts of how our minds weave together reality. There's this famous quote attributed to Mark Twain, and I'm I'm say attributed to because they're speaking of illusion. There are a lot of other people who it's attributed to, which is, looking back on my life as an old man, I realized so many bad things happened that never really happened at all, right? That's a little bit of a paraphrase mangling, but you get the idea. So many things, so many fears, anxieties, ambitions that never actually occur in reality. 
And we, we humans, we get so bound up in them and so tight around them sometimes. So this offers an alternative to reflect on the matrix of mental activity and physical interaction itself rather than the magic show. This kind of wise attention is um, called Yoniso Manisikara, which is a term many of you are quite familiar with. Um, Yoniso in this context means wise and Manasikara is attention. So Manasikara in the Pali doesn't have a valence, good or bad. It's just a faculty of mind. But Yoniso wisdom does. And I like it also because Yoniso comes from Yoni, womb. So it's I think of it almost as the wise attention that is the womb of awakening, right? It's like the condition, the fundamental condition. This kind of wise attention unlocks the liberative potential of the five aggregates. Excuse me, conditionality. Cause and effect between and amongst them and that weaving together. And it also provides a way of raking up, teasing apart experience to release us from that kind of distress we might have in relationship to it, or from the tension, the um, unpleasantness, unhelpfulness of being hooked by it. So to see the matrix, the interplay itself instead This kind of conditionality, this kind of seeing the magic show playing, points to the power of humility and simplicity in relating to subjective experience, in relating to our minds and hearts, our opinions about others, our opinions about ourselves. All subjective experience depends on the quality of our hearts and minds. All of it. And since our minds are always interpreting and constructing, I'm going to talk just a little bit about relating to the process of the interpreting and constructing. So... I find humility, it's not often listed as a real word in the early Buddhist teaching. So I want to name, I'm bringing this word, but it has other kinds of valences, um, nuances, poly that is used to describe something similar. I think humility and service and humble mind and humble heart are the two closest in the ancient texts. So it's woven in there in a way that isn't called out quite so much, but it's important. And the reason is that greed, hatred, and delusion and their henchmen, their buddies, are constructors of this kind of erroneous perception, erroneous construction, reactivity, this process. 
they can distort our very perceiving itself, just like I was talking about with the hand on the shoulder, right? But there's classic examples. Fear distorts the rope that is misperceived as a snake when coiled up in a dark shed. Hatred, anger, or rage distort. The Buddha's teachings speak of making people ugly in our minds and of how anger contorts our own faces. It can be perceived in ways that aren't so nice either. Greed or lust distort in a different kind of way. The Buddha talks about them being like dye in water or more contemporary sort of 70s reference, rose-colored glasses. And even these rose-colored glasses, perceiving through a naive kind of filter of optimism, that can be problematic too. It has happened to me personally, out hiking in the hills, where I mistook a sleeping rattlesnake across the trail as a root. Thankfully, I was paying enough attention to where inches above where my foot would have met it. I noticed the difference and made a broader step. And thankfully, the snake was quite sleepy and made no response. But that could have been a very unfortunate interaction for all involved, right? So not to neglect the part of the mind that wants to push things in whatever direction we want it to be, and that maybe other people don't want to play along with that, or reality doesn't play along with that. So this magic show, Bhikkhunyanananda talks about viewing it from different vantage points. Like this little thought experiment, this little story he tells, he talks about how he brings it into the contemporary time. Just think of like a famous magician. Really look forward to seeing show or her show. Maybe you've seen it before and you get curious. And the next time you go, you end up standing side stage. Right? or backstage and seeing the show. And all of a sudden you get to see all the little tricks and processes by which the magic is made. Look out. He talks about looking out over the audience and seeing the audience absolutely wrapped, completely involved and taken in. They're having a lot of fun. But the person on the side stage is seeing how it actually works. So this might not matter so much for a magic show unless you're trying to learn how to do magic. However, other often people's experience of the exact same event are dramatically different depending on the view or theory they're holding or conditioning, the emotional tenor, or simply the kind of input we receive, both physically and kind of philosophically, where we stand in relationship to something defines how we see it, right? It can even influence whether or not something is taken in at all. There's um, 
a story. Some beloved elders of mine were in federal law enforcement in their careers. They'd been retired as long as they were in the career at this point. But I remember um, one of them quipping to me in a conversation sometime in the last number of months that when they used to go interview witnesses, eyewitnesses of crimes, this was before video cameras, guys, they would have 17 different witnesses and 19 different stories, right? Because some people couldn't figure out which story was right, so they would tell both. That was for the same event, right? The exact same event. So, anytime there's a sense of existential threat, to I, me, or mine, my reputation, my body, my life. Everything is going to be perceived through the lens of threat. And that biases and distorts deeply. And any time there is a potential huge upside to I, me, or mine, status, position, wanting that person, that relationship, that thing, that job, whatever it is, that also has the possibility of distorting. And these five ways of teasing things apart is an alternate lens, an alternate lens of looking. And there's a shortcut many of you are aware of, which is what decreases suffering in the moment. Or where is the suffering? First of the four noble truths, right? There's something deeply grounding. There's something very settling about aligning with an honest simplicity about what's known about what's happening now. Rather than conjecture, wish, fear. Right? The Buddhist great um, Vajrayana, Buddhist philosopher Sankapa, talks about being on the side of those who do not argue with reality, because reality always wins. Reality always wins, eventually. So earlier I said humility and simplicity when interpreting experience are really powerful kind of groundings. This speaks to what's so helpful about the simplicity part. It's a really supportive shift, the simplicity of seeing and forms or hearing and sounds, rupa, the form, the raw experience, and then breaking down the rest into this matrix of Okay, this is pleasant or unpleasant. What is being perceived on a simple level, conceived on a simple level? What are the thoughts and associations? Am I even aware this is happening? Cuts through. And this allows for an easier, more subtle back orientation kind of a more restful and harmonious relationship with what's happening, even if it's awful. This is something that um, 
I encounter frequently in myself and others in my work as a chaplain. Kind of by definition, if I'm seeing someone in the hospital, it's usually bad what's going on for them. Not always, but most of the time. And the people who, like, so often it's it's a process of helping someone land in what actually is there. Because the extra suffering, the extra arrows, as the Buddha talked about, those make things so much worse. And landing and being with the simplicity gives many people a sense of ease and settledness with whatever process, even dying. A fully enlightened being, the Buddha. The Buddha talks about himself as not standing upon the concepts created by the mind. Let's see if I can find the full quote. Maybe I'll just use the partial quote. He says, basically, whatever is seen or heard or understood, but the Tagata, the Buddha's name for himself, has not taken a stand on it. In other words, has not created anything extra other than being with it. It's a very powerful experience to let reality as it is flow through. And it's an expression of freedom. So thank you. Thank you for your kind attention. I'm going to stop the recording, pause it for a few minutes, and we'll do some Q&A, comments, questions, and then I'll um, start the recording again when it's time to wrap up. And um, take just a moment or two to dedicate the benefits, the merit of this practice. So may the benefits of our practice here together ripple out through our hearts and minds and lives into our daily life, into our momentary interactions with others, to all that our lives touch. And may they ripple out through the lives that we touch to the lives that others touch, and so on in broad concentric rings, benefiting all beings in some small way. May our practice here together be a condition for our care and support for ourselves and others and for the freedom of all beings everywhere. along this path. Liz Powell will be supporting this group for the next two weeks. Maria Line is away on retreat. And I will be back in the third in three weeks. So look forward to seeing some of you then and um, be well in the meantime. Feel free to unmute and say goodbye.